So we have spent the last number of weeks uh, working together through Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. And uh, today is the end of that. So if you have been expectantly waiting and hoping that at some point we would come to the end of Galatians, today is that day. But uh, I find it interesting and appropriate that as we, as we conclude this series, as we conclude Galatians today, that as we look at these last verses, that these verses that Paul gives us are all about the cross. Now, I wish I could tell you that I was smart enough to realize when I laid out this sermon series that we were going to be preaching all about the cross on the Sunday before Easter. Um, But I'm not that smart. And in fact, if you will remember, we actually took a break. We actually got started with this series a week late and took a break. And yet God in his providence has ensured that today the first Sunday of the Holy Week, that we will spend time looking at what a cross-formed life looks like. You know, what, we're, what we've been doing the last couple of weeks, we're looking at these last two chapters, at chapters 5 and 6, looking at how to apply the lessons in the gospel that got, uh, Paul has shown us in the first four chapters. This gospel that our salvation comes through Jesus only, Jesus alone. That the gospel is not a Jesus plus gospel. It's not Jesus plus works or Jesus plus anything else. It's Jesus alone. That there is nothing that we can do to earn God's grace. That God's grace to us is a gift, freely given. Not anything that we can earn. And so we turn to Galatians, to the 6th chapter, starting with verse 11. Will you stand with me as we read God's word together? Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the, Christ, through the cross, and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace come to all those who follow the standard, and mercy even to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let us pray. Dear God, as we open your word to study it this morning, I pray that we would be people who would be shaped and formed by it, and that we would be people who are shaped and formed by the cross. 
that as we read and study your word, that we would be transformed, that we would be changed, that we would be born again as a new creation. And so, God, as we enter this time together, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. And so, as we, as we get here to the end of Galatians, we see this cross-centered conclusion that he has. And when we start with this, this weird little line here in verse 11 about Paul's using of large letters and in his own handwriting. This is one of those things that, uh, that always makes you go, huh. It's also one of those things that, to me, lets me know that this was actually written by Paul to churches. And it was not something that was crafted and constructed to be included in Scripture. And how do we know that? Because if any of us were going to sit down and craft and construct something to be read for 2,000 years, I doubt we would say, all right, now I'm going to write really big here. Right? You know, we talk about that the, the, the Scripture is inspired and God-breathed and, and, and absolutely... But I am not convinced that all of the time the people who are writing Scripture know at the time that they are writing that they are writing Scripture. I'm not sure that when Paul sat down to to write these truths out that we have read in Galatians that he knew that he was being inspired by the Holy Spirit and that he had any idea that 2,000 years later we would be gathered in Fairmont, North Carolina pouring over every jot and tittle. Maybe he did. I don't know. But I have to think that I I think not. Because I think if he did, I don't think he would have said, look at what large letters I use now in my own handwriting. Because to be honest, it's kind of embarrassing. So what's this about? Well, there are a couple of different options. One option is this. We know that Paul used scribes and secretaries. Very common at the time, and that Paul probably uh, would have dictated to a person, and that they would have written his thoughts and his words down. And so then, that it's, it's possible that we have come to a portion in the letter where Paul, for whatever reason, chooses to write himself instead of having his secretary write it down. It's also possible, because it's not clear here what he's talking about, it is possible that the whole letter has been written in very large letters, or that the whole letter has been written in his hand, and just this portion has been written in large letters. I do think that what what is happening here is that Paul is pointing out that what he is about to say is important. This conclusion to this letter to the Galatians is different than other conclusions to other letters that Paul writes. You can go and read some of those other 
closing comments. He, he puts a lot more in these closing comments in Galatians than he does in most of his letters. In most of his letters, he sort of gets to the end and goes, all right, that's it. I love you. See you later. Hey, remember these folks. Talk to you later, Paul. None of that actually is here, right? There are no personal greetings. There's, there's no expression of thanks and praise. That is normal. If you go back and you read the other Pauline epistles, you'll see that that's, that's normal. The tone in this conclusion is, matches the tone of the whole letter, and it's relatively sharp. Paul's not done. We've got to remember that Galatians is written right in the midst of a controversy. Paul is writing to churches that are being troubled by these false teachers. And Paul is taking one final opportunity, perhaps for the first time by his own hand, to really drive home the point that this controversy, that these false teachers present a clear and present danger to the church and to the gospel. You know, this is what we do, right? When we want to draw attention to something, if we're writing something or if we're typing something out, what do you want to do if you want to draw attention to it? You capitalize it, you bold it, you italicize it, you underline it, sometimes you do all of the above. You put little stars around it. There are any number of things that we can do, right, to draw attention to it. In fact, it's, it's really funny. Several times today in my notes, I have things in all capitals because they're big points that I don't want to miss. Paul's doing the same thing. He's, this, this is important. And I think what we have here is this gift because we don't have the original manuscript, right? We would, we would perhaps miss that these were written in big, bold letters unless Paul told us. There's the Holy Spirit at work, right? Paul doesn't know, perhaps, that 2,000 years later we're going to be sitting here reading it, but the Holy Spirit did. And the Holy Spirit knew that we needed to know that these closing remarks are important to pay attention. So what is this conclusion that is so important? What are these words that Paul has written by his own hand in large letters? What are they? It's a reminder and a call to live a cross-centered life. To live a life formed by the cross. And as we go through here, we see six marks. Six distinguishing characteristics that Paul has here of a cross-centered life. I want to tell you, I'll be up front, I am not smart enough to have identified these thick six on my own. I am in particular this morning indebted to, to some of the work on Galatians that uh, Dr. Danny Aiken, who's the president at Southeastern, has done. He's the one who, who really helped me see these. Six marks 
of a, of a cross-centered life that contrasts it with a life centered on the world. The first is this. A cross-centered life is humble and not prideful. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. This is the the religion that the false teachers are promoting. It's it's motivated by self-interest and and an agenda of self-preservation. We see several expressions of pride here. We see that these folks are manipulators, right? They would compel you to be circumcised. Compulsion. We see that they are compromisers. They want to avoid being persecuted. We see that they are hypocrites. They don't even keep the law themselves. And we see that they are braggarts. That they love and want to boast. These are are marks of pride. Marks of of self-centeredness and self-interest. See, they they want to they want to lift themselves up. It's interesting here that after, after all the words that we've been through and all of the conversation that Paul has had about the law and about circumcision, we see here Paul's real thoughts on why they actually want to push this, this gospel plus agenda. This gospel plus circumcision agenda. And Paul has addressed all of the theological arguments. And here at the end we say, okay, I've given you all of those theological arguments, but let's be honest. The real reason they want you to be circumcised is because they don't want to be persecuted. That's the real reason. It's not theology. It's not, it's not because they think that that's the right thing. It's because they want to be safe. Because they don't want you to to be marked as different. They don't want you to be a target. They want to be able to to go to the religious leaders and say, see, look, they're just like us. They're a little weird. They think some different things, but they're following the law. It's important to note here that also that for various reasons, at this point in the Roman Empire, Jews had an exemption to certain civil, political, religious requirements that other people had. It's one of the things that gets Christians into trouble is because they don't have that exemption and yet they still refuse to burn incense to Caesar. And so if you were marked, if you were circumcised, you could say, oh, well, I don't do that because I'm a Jew. These words that that Paul speaks about the circumcision party should remind us of some of the words that Jesus speaks in Matthew 23 about religious leaders and the religious hypocrites that he confronts during Holy Week. You know, Jesus, in talking about the Pharisees, he points out they don't keep the law themselves. 
He points out that they have self-centered motives. He points out that they desire the praise of others. And so we're left, as we have been through the whole book of Galatians, with the question. One final time, the question that we have to consider is true faith, is true religion about human accomplishment or about divine accomplishment? Because by all means, if it's about human accomplishment, if it's about what we can do in the flesh, let's boast about it. By all means, if it's about what we can do, then let's lift ourselves high. Because we're the ones who are doing the work. But if it's about divine work and divine accomplishment, then we have nothing to boast about. And so, brothers and sisters, we have a choice. We can glory in the flesh or we can glory in Christ. It's one or the other. Now, we live in a culture that is marked by glorifying in the flesh all, in all sorts of ways, right? We, we care deeply about popularity, whether or not we're, we're popular and how we're thought of by others. We, we care deeply about, about intellect, about appearance, about income, about job performance, about fame. Some of us care deeply about how many people are following us on social media or, or how many likes that that picture or that post that we put up on Instagram or TikTok or whatever thing has come out this week. So we live in a culture that, that's marked by this, this desire to glorify the things that we do. And it's not new. I was, I was doing some, some reading this week about that. There's that strange passage about when Paul tells women not to braid their hair. You remember that? It's like this, this is really weird sort of thing. And what Paul's talking about, he's not talking about, you know, not putting braids in your hair. He's talking about this very specific practice that Roman women would do where they would braid their hair, but they would braid strands of gold into their hair. Because they wanted to show you how much they had so much money they could put it in their hair. So this idea of glorifying in the flesh is not new. How many statues of Roman emperors do we have? I don't know the answer to that question other than a lot. It's not new to us. You know, sometimes we think that we're living in like an unusually hedonistic, unusually bad time. We haven't read enough about Rome or Persia or the Middle Ages, if we think that. See, this is what the circumcision party wants, right? They want to they be able to boast. They want their statistics. Note, note what Paul said. They want to boast about your flesh, not theirs, yours. Not to get too terribly graphic this morning, but they want to count foreskins. I got 16 this week. How many did you get?
So how do we cultivate humility? We come to the cross. The cross is where our pride bubble gets popped. The cross reminds us that we are not any better than anyone else. There is no room for boasting and pride on that hill outside of Jerusalem. I'm sort of immersing myself right now in um, the life and ministry of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a a preacher in London in the uh, mid-20th century. He starts preaching at Westminster Chapel in 1943, right in the middle of World War II. He was a Welchman and a doctor, and not a doctor of, of theology, like a doctor doctor, a medical doctor, a real doctor, the kind of doctor you want when you say, are there any doctors on this plane, right? You don't want the guy showing up. He's like, oh, I have a PhD in ancient Roman literature. No, you don't want that guy, right? You want the guy that can keep your heart going. Martin Lloyd-Jones was that kind of doctor. But then he's called to the ministry. Preached over 4,000 sermons during his ministry at Westminster. But somebody asked him one time, they went to tea at his house, it was after he had retired. And they asked him, and they said, Doctor, how do I know if I am preaching in the energy of the flesh or in the power of the Spirit? And Lloyd-Jones' response was this, if you're speaking in the flesh, you will feel exalted and lifted up. But if you are preaching in the power of the Spirit, you will feel awe and humility. So do you feel exalted and lifted up? Or in awe and humility before Christ? Are we making much of ourselves or are we making much of Christ and his cross? And that leads us to the second mark of a cross-centered life. The second mark is this, a cross-centered life boasts in the cross and not in self. See this in the first part of verse 14. As for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I will never boast. The Greek here means I will never, ever, 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 ever boast in anything else. The construction here is such that it's it's the strongest negation that you could have. It is absolute. I will never boast in anything other than the cross. What does we mean by boast? What can we... I think we, we use that word, and we kind of know what it is, but let's, let's take a step back. Let's think about what is, in this, particularly in this context, what do we mean by boast? We mean to glory in, to make much of, to be consumed with, to be mastered by. When we boast in something, it, it sort of ends up being at the center of who we are. Those of us who were very excited and perhaps even boastful of Wake Forest football accomplishments this fall sort of got overtaken a little bit. Speaking of myself. I, I got up pretty much every day. What did Coach Clawson have to say today? Who's going to be on the line this weekend? When we boast in something, it consumes us. It becomes central to who we are. So this is why Paul is saying that that 
may we never glory in or make much of or be consumed with or be mastered by anything other than Christ and his cross. Because boasting in the cross shows that you place your faith and confidence in Christ and in his work, not in yourself or in your salvation. Folks who lift up the cross are showing that they depend utterly and on Jesus and on his cross. Those who boast in the cross can say, this is my peace. Jesus died in my place. We can say because of the cross, the wrath of God will not be poured out on me. Because of the cross, I am united to Christ. Because of the cross, I am dead to this world and all of its claims on my life. Because of the cross, I have become a new creation. Boast only in the cross because every blessing you have enjoyed, enjoy now or will enjoy in the future is because of the cross. Which leads us to the third mark of a cross-centered life. Which is this. The cross-centered life treasures Christ and not the world. You know, the cross has the power to free us from the world's bondage. We've been talking about that freedom in this study of Galatians. This system and nature of this age that's corrupt and fills us with meaninglessness and hopelessness and futility and warped values and despair. But because of the cross, a cross-centered life will lead us to be dead to the world and the world be dead to us. Back in the second chapter of Galatians, remember, you remember this in Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. We belong to Jesus. We've been crucified with him. We have died and yet we live. Because there is a new I. There is a new subject. You know, the world tells us over and over and over again, but we are fine just the way we are. That what we really need to do is embrace our inner self. That we need to be at peace with ourselves. I'm okay, and you're okay. But brothers and sisters, there can be no peace while we are an enemy of God. There is nothing in our life worth embracing if we are still dead in sin. And so the old self must die. The rebellious self The enslaved self, the proud self, the unbelieving self must die and there must be a new I, a new creation. Now, the world still affects us. These values have been dealt a death blow on the cross, but the world still has a malingering influence. But when Christ returns, there will be no more corruption that is the hope and the promise that we have in the promise of Christ's return and I would encourage you as you want to learn more about that come and join us on Wednesday night as we're working through revelation and as we are seeing this hope unfold but 
But the death blow that has been dealt means that we can pursue what we were created to be. Not what we were born to be, but what we were created to be. The Christian life is about becoming what we now are. Dead to the world and alive in Christ. The world is not our treasure. Christ is. Because of the cross, the cares of this world don't need to crush us. Because we have a different perspective. We know that if God will give us Christ, then he will give us what we need. The enticements of this world do not have to persuade us like they do the world. Greed can be replaced with generosity. Lust can be overcome by purity. Anxiety can be met and defeated with the truth. And envy can give way to love. This is the life that Jesus wants us to live more abundantly. Remember that promise? I am... I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Life more abundantly doesn't mean that we have a bigger bank account or better health or more of what the world would give us. No, to have life more abundantly means that we have more of God, more of His will, more of His power, and more of His glory. The things that we can chase are idols, money, power, Glory, peer approval, attention, ungodly romance, and sexuality. These things don't mean anything. They're worth nothing. They are pathetic, dying things that seek to enslave you. If you have Christ, you can see them for what they are. We need Christ to see them as the way that he sees them. And this leads us to our fourth mark of a Christ-centered life. A cross-centered life values spiritual transformation, not external ritual. Paul says, For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace come to all those who follow the standard and mercy even to the Israel of God. See, the cross has done for us what the flesh cannot. It has made us new. Paul said back in chapter 5 that circumcision and uncircumcision accomplish nothing. Because it's the internal change, not the external, that matters. And so, are we marked by internal change or are we marked by external ritual? Because the internal change is what biblical Christianity is all about. The external stuff, how often you come to church and pray and tithe and cross yourself or whatever external ritual you think it is that's going to draw you closer to God means nothing if you are not a new creation in Christ. Because if you are not a new creation in Christ, you are still dead in your sin. You are still under God's wrath. See, it often gets lifted up in this way, right? That it's either religion or irreligion. It's either rules or hedonism. I'd encourage you sometime, go and talk to to some young folks. Talk to folks who are my age, in their mid-30s. I'm going to pretend like I'm still in my mid-30s. And younger. 
and ask them what religion is. Ask them, ask them what Christianity is about. And what they're going to tell you is, is that it's about rules. I've had this conversation with my peers over and over and over and over again. And I don't know where we got here, how we got here, or why we're here, but this is where we are. And what they say is, is you know, I can either live by all of these rules or I can not have any. But the gospel, the true gospel is, is a third way. It's not about acts. It's not about a code of ethics. It's about being united in Christ who then works in us and through us and empowers us to live differently. Here's the thing. We end up living a certain way not because we have to, but once we are united with Christ because we want to. The fifth mark is this. A cross-centered life walks in truth and not in error. This is the standard that Paul mentions there at the end of 16. A standard is a, is a measuring rod or, or a carpenter's rule. That's a standard. Don't ask me why I have a tape measure on the front pew. That's a standard, right? In the context that Paul's talking about here, the standard that he's talking about is the message of the cross and new creation. Paul's passionate about people walking in and not just intellectually affirming the truth of the gospel. You know, we talk about those 3,500 people that are within three miles of the front door of this church who don't know Jesus. You go out and you talk to them, the majority of them are going to tell you all of the right things. They're going to tell you that Jesus was the Son of God. They're going to tell you that he came and lived a sinless life. They're going to tell you they died for his sins. They know all that stuff. Why do they know that stuff? Because they grew up here. They grew up saturated in it. But they don't know Jesus. They know about Jesus. They don't know Jesus. Paul's passionate about seeing us walk in the truth of the gospel. You know, he, he brings this promise of peace and mercy. Peace and mercy is the opposite of the curse that he brought against the teachers of the false gospel. See, in the church, we're going to find peace when we walk in the gospel. We're going to experience and show mercy when we saturate ourselves with the gospel. A gospel-centered people should be a mercy-dispensing, peace-loving people. Because the sixth mark is this. A cross-centered life seeks to please Christ and not man. Paul bears scars that he has received for his persecution. Physical scars. And what Paul is saying is that these scars are the scars that matter. Remember, Paul's a Jew, right? So Paul was circumcised. He bears that scar. But he also bears the scars that he, bore, that he received because of the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying, you want to see real devotion to God? 
Don't show me that scar. Let me show you my back. He hadn't avoided persecution. If we're going to follow Jesus, there are going to be scars. We can pray that they are not physical scars, but Jesus never promises a life that will be easy and devoid of hardship. But he does promise that he will be with us. Paul ends with this, grace be with you. If we go back and we see the beginning of Galatians, he begins with a pronouncement of grace. He ends with a pronouncement of grace. We've been saturated with grace from every chapter of this book. It's the sum and substance of a disciple. It's the marks of Christ on our body and the grace of Christ in our spirit. A cross-centered life is going to look weird by the world's standards. I don't know how many of you also wear one. I wear a cross around my neck. I got it for Easter 30 years ago, maybe. I don't remember exactly how old I was when Mom and Daddy bought me for this. You ever thought about how weird it is that we wear a cross around our neck? I mean, this is a symbol of torture, humiliation. Only the lowest of the low were sent to the cross. The Romans wouldn't even send a Roman citizen to the cross. You know, when Paul's martyred, he's not martyred by being crucified. Peter is crucified. Andrew is crucified. Peter, uh, Paul is not. Why? Because he's a Roman citizen. Paul's beheaded. It's a weird thing to wear around our neck. I don't think any of us would wear an electric chair around our neck. Or if we were some way to, to show a gas chamber, a little gas chamber charm that we could wear around our neck. It's weird. We're used to it. It doesn't strike us as weird, but when we think about it, it's weird. Because the cross-centered life is weird. It's strange. It's out of step with the world. It's a life that is reflected well in our closing hymn. Closing hymn is going to be when I survey the wondrous cross. And as you sing these words today, I want you to to really think about what they are saying and what a cross-centered life looks like. Because it's what we're called to.